and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk on Topic, the show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. This week, we're going to catch up on some feedback and questions you've sent us in over the last few months. And she really didn't read the rest of what I wrote, but that's fine, because first, we're going to thank our Patreons and Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, and the Gift of Games in Grace Lake. And welcome, I think, back, Marina Stevens, who's also in our live audience, so... Hi, Marina. If you want to be in our live audience, you can just go to tabletopgametalk.com slash live every Monday night at 830. Um, regardless of what the link says as far as date and subject, just click on the <laughs> link. It'll work. Probably. Um, so, yeah. So, welcome. Hey, hi. How are you? What's... Oh, wait. Um, am I really... Should I should I make him wait for like a half hour before we let him say anything? <laughs> no. Oh, fine. So, wait, who was that? Who just spoke? Spencer. All right, that's Spencer. Um, Kitty's husband. And you had to think about that for a second, huh? Yeah, well, I just, I was, I was wondering, Kitty's something. I was wondering just how I would want to introduce that. Um, but listener who strongly disagrees with me and wants to come on live and have feedback but we're gonna wait until later in the episode before we get to spencer's feedback but spencer you are allowed to comment on anything else we talk about that's good and i would like to disagree with your characterization of my disagreement really quick if i might it's not that i strongly disagree (laughs) it's that i mostly agree but i strongly believe that you're wrong in your characterization of things it'll be a very fruitful discussion (laughs) (laughs) welcome to uh philosophy talk Tabletop, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, table, table talk, philosophical talk, tabletop, phil, table, th- yeah, tabletop you broke philosophy. It we broke it. You did. You broke it. We broke everything. <laughs> um, speaking of breaking everything, we are trying to not to break my storage shelves, and we're giving away a whole bunch of games. And if you want to be part of our 2021 contest, please email me and say, "Hey, I would love to be part of your 2021 contest." For those who have emailed. I have tried my best to respond to every single one of you. So if you sent in an email and I did not respond to you, send me another email saying, hey, I sent you an email to enter and you didn't respond to me. And I will see what happened, but I'm fairly certain I got everybody. But I just want to let everyone know that I'm I'm responding to all of you. I tend to respond to you about two to three weeks late because I do it just before (laughs) we record our giveaway shows. So some people got a bunch of emails tonight. Um... But yeah, just do that. Email me so I can give you games. Uh, the way it works, all the rules are in the show notes. But essentially, the way it works is every so often, um, every two to three weeks, we draw some names and you tell me which games you want off the list. That's also in the show notes. And as long as you get back to me within two weeks, you will likely get what you want. The only time there'd be an, an issue is if I call three names and two people want the same thing, then the first person sends me you get that thing. Um, you may have to help with shipping. I will let you know. If you're not in the U.S., you will probably definitely have to help with shipping. If you are in the U.S., it just basically depends on the size of where you're at. Those are the giveaway things. And I bring that up because at the end of the episode, we are going to be drawing... At least one, maybe two, possibly three. We'll see how I feel by that. (laughs) Um, Fletcher, question I ask every week. How was your week? Did you do anything fun? Uh, My week was good. Did I do anything fun? I don't know. All right. We're going to take that as a no. (laughs) 
They all blend together now. They they do. They really they, do. And every single week, Chris asks us this question, and every week I just see you and me panic at the same time. Like, oh no, what did happen this week? I don't. I don't know. I actually, you know what? I did um, barbecue brisket this weekend. Ooh. There you go. I smoked. I smoked a brisket. Sixteen I, hours. I wouldn't even know how to start smoking brisket. So that's something cool. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Spencer has done quite a lot of, a bit of fun of and it was super delicious. I don't think you've ever done a brisket though, have yes, you? I have. I don't remember eating a brisket. I remember a lot of pork butts and ribs and briskets. I've done I've done brisket on it maybe only three or four times. It's a lot of times for me to have blocked out of my memory. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Like, I thought that it was a bit dry, but everyone else seemed to really like it. Oh, now that does ring a bell. <laughs> dry brisket is tough. <laughs> yes, stuff that is a bit too dry that Spencer made that rings a bell. I mean, normally when he smokes things, they're too spicy for my baby mouth, um, but very good. Otherwise, I like just I I am not a spicy person. And like you can like sneeze next to cayenne pepper and it can like flutter down gently into food. And I'll be like, I can't eat this. It's too spicy. I my mom made um, chocolate cookies one year that they were like Mexican snickerdoodles and they had the tiniest bit of, I don't remember if it was cayenne or maybe it was even just chipotle pepper. You, and like Usually cayenne in that. I think it was cayenne. And seriously, it was like a quarter of a teaspoon for several dozen cookies. And me and my sister both were just like, oh, how could people eat this? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like spicy with my sweet, but I do like spicy on and that wasn't supposed to rhyme, but I was just going to let it go. <laughs> well, hold on, but that's but that's what barbecue is, is it's spicy and sweet on meat. Uh, Not necessarily. And when I do brisket, it's just salt and pepper. Yeah, yeah that's but barbecue... True, but but there's, it's but very Spencer's frequently right. sweet. I do like... Bar- I, li- I like a spicy barbecue sauce. I guess it's just like baking sugar and baking chocolate and spicy doesn't really work but yeah no spicy sweet barbecue sauce i'm all for that mango habanero is one of my favorite sauces and Uh, you're just wrong it's like pineapple salsa mango habanero is the only thing that gets me through eating at buffalo wild wings (laughs) (laughs) i mean i i will admit that that is one of the reasons i go their caribbean jerk and their um jalapeno one is also very very good so anyway that's table toss sauce talk and table sauce sauce talk (laughs) (laughs) let's talk actually no i want to talk about what i've done because um well, a couple things what kitty did and you I, do kitty and i are doing our last episode of dice tower now this week mm-hmm. um which we'll be recording in a few days so that'll be partially sad mostly weight lifted off shoulders <laughs> and i'm I, and immediately, I'm already thinking of other things I can fill, spill that time with. And I'm like, no, I don't need another commitment, but I might do it anyway. <laughs> um, but I've been also related to that. I've been playing a ton of games. And it's related because maybe I'll start talking about games at some point. Um, but I've been playing Dice Throne Adventures. And I really like it. The campaign is super long. Dice Throne Adventures is certainly... An investment you're going to get your money's worth if you're playing through it. And I've been playing it solo, and I've been enjoying it immensely. I've also been playing Marvel United, um, which I, when I played the base game... So Marvel United is on Kickstarter right now for the X-Men version. If you missed Marvel United, you should look into it. If you like Marvel um, and co-op games or co-op games, take a look at it, because the base box was eh, okay, 
with all the extra stuff, the, the game is very good. I've probably pay, played it a dozen times over the past three days by myself, sitting just like sliding over and playing three or four characters at a time. It's it's very good. So yeah, so that's what I've been doing. Oh, and I wrote my first review on BGG on Red Rising, which is Stonemeyer Games game, um, because I really like that game too. So we played that too. <laughs> what is that look? <laughs> Spencer is being extremely distracting over here. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. <laughs> being a good boy. I guess. Uh, <laughs> have you guys played any games since you're both here? Have we you actually did this, this last week, right? Yeah, we played um, Bloom. It was, speaking of Kickstarter, is a Kickstarter that I got pretty recently. Um, this is a tile placement and market manipulation game. So you are creating flowers on your garden plot. And every time you complete a flower, you get to choose if you want to add one to your stock room or to change its value in the marketplace. And so it really hit that uh, center of the Venn diagram between me and Spencer of I like flowers and he enjoys market manipulation. (laughs) (laughs) Spencer, did the market manipulation overcome the fact the game was based on flowers? So while I didn't find the theme particularly appealing, I wouldn't say that I found it off-putting either. Uh, And the market manipulation part, I would say, was probably the most interesting aspect of the game. But not so much of that, like, oh, it's about dollars and cents or trade or something like that. It was more that it, you know, the scoring of the game is really sort of point salady. Uh, mm-hmm. which is not something that's typically very appealing to me. But the market manipulation uh, allows you to sort of, it's almost like a meta game of gaming wh- how things get scored, um, which I think is, if I remember correctly, the way we talked about it afterwards, is like, you know, I liked that aspect of it, but not as much the point salady aspect. And she liked the point salady aspect of it and not as much the fact that you could manipulate it. So it was it was sort of trying to be two different worlds, and maybe for a different crowd, it would be be a great blend of the two. But I think for us, it was kind of just like, hey, I sort of like it, but not really. <laughs> and that it would have done stronger being in one or the other. But it's an interesting concept of a game. So I really enjoyed it in that much. I, I, I'd certainly play it again, but it's I wouldn't rank it up there as something that would be on my short list. Well, it you... didn't get tossed into the box of games to go to your giveaway yet. So yeah. <laughs> Well, you uh, gave me the opportunity for the perfect segue, um, because I don't actually think I put this in the notes, because I think we sort of maybe covered it in our board game book glossary episode. But I want to reiterate point salad, because occasionally we use terms that not everyone (laughs) understands. And a question came up of, hey, you guys often use the term point salad. I'm not sure what that is. And... It's just really a generic term for anything that has kind of a score pad at the end. So you score X points for this, X points for that, X points for that. I honestly think of it having more of the the score track where you're moving a piece around like, all right, now you get five points for this and then three points for that. Almost all point salad games, like if you think Carcassonne, you know, you um, at the end of the game, you're moving a piece, but it's about the same. Yeah, score pads work too, but I think of it as like moving your score token around the outside of the board as you gain three points here. Carcassonne two points there. doesn't have a pa- Carcassonne is just pure point salad. I mean, Carcassonne I no, I guess pure- there is some scoring. There's some scoring in the middle of the game. Um, 
But yeah, like point salad tends to the the generic definition is you're scoring for a bunch of different things. Yeah, that could be during the game. It typically most people would consider it end of game, but it's it's like Seven Wonders is a point salad game. There's 18 different things you're scoring. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think there's like five or six, but um, those it types of things like are points. It feels like 18 games. sometimes. It feels like 18. Yeah. In and- fact, Red Rising, my biggest complaint there is um, it's sort of, again, it's sort of a point salad game. Um, but the one part, there's one box for scoring your hand, which is the most complicated piece to do, but there's one little box. And then there's five other boxes for things where you just look at the board and say, oh, that's a 12. <laughs> but I would say an important th- aspect of point salad games is the sort of chaos and uncertainty of not knowing who's actually winning. Yes. Right. And like yeah. you can that, contrast that, that of you look at a game like chess and you might say, oh, you don't really know who's winning. Right. Even though all the information's right there. This is very different than that in that you don't really there's, you know, a, a large number of different ways that you can score up points. Those things, the way they get scored could change over time. It's at any given point, it's anybody's game, and no one really has any idea who's winning. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Because there are lots of games, a vast majority of games, have points as the how you win. But many, if not most of those point games, you know while you're playing how many points you have. There may be some end game scoring elements to it, and they throw those in there so that you don't always know who's winning. But oftentimes, you can just look at the track and be like, oh, I'm 50 points ahead. I'm going to win this game. And everyone else is going to be like, Oh, we still have an hour left to play. Awesome. And then, yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's get into some questions um, outside of the question we just answered. Uh, first, I have a correction. Patrick sent me in an, a, a, a correction. Apparently, I was uh, saying Solomon Kane was an Awakened Realms game when, in fact, it's a mythic game. And in my defense, Awakened Realms and Mythic and Monolith and all of those big box game things blur together in my head. It was a miniature <laughs> company Kickstarter game. Um, but Awakened Realms is not who published Solomon Kane. Mythic Games is. But Mythic Battles, which is currently on Kickstarter, won't be by the time you hear this episode, that was not public by Mythic Games. That was published by Monolith Games or Awakened Realms. But I think Monolith. I don't know. Um, you should so, just stop me. trying to say things. Yeah. What I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to say is... Do not take anything I say as fact, especially for the rest of this episode where I answer your question. So that that is my disclaimer. Um, Fletcher, I'm going to ask you this first question. John asks, what's the difference between a campaign game and a legacy game? I knew you were going to ask me this question, <laughs> which is, is really like the worst question to ask me because I've never played a legacy game. So I'm going to go based on, uh, you know, what we talked about legacy games. And I think the main thing is that a campaign is more RPG driven theoretically and a legacy game is not necessarily. Okay. Uh, Spencer, what do you feel is the difference between a campaign game and a legacy game? You have played a legacy. I have, I think that a legacy game is something that you can replay in a certain sense from uh, the beginning but that it's been affected by the previous iteration of the game. Whereas a campaign is really narratively part of that same ongoing arc. I don't know if Kimmy? that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to say that doesn't make a lot of sense, but I'm going to, I'm going to let you clarify. <laughs> is Spencer clarifying or am I answering now? You can answer or you can clarify what Spencer said. I'm just- um, well, I think my answer is a, a legacy game is a 
specific, I think, isn't it trademarked, like registered by a specific company? Like to call yourself a legacy game, it, you have to get permission is, from. <laughs> nope. It is not trademarked. Um, Living Card Game is trademarked, but oh, Legacy okay. is not. I, surprisingly enough, Hasbro did not trademark I'm Legacy. Shocked. Um, so to me, a Legacy game is something that has a Legacy deck is what is driving the game. So you have a deck which is telling you the story, and it will tell you to pull things out of this deck, and that is how it furthers the story. Whereas a campaign game often has scenarios which you are following and you are setting up a scenario as put forth by a rule book or some other device where you are playing this specific scenario in these orders to make a campaign a legacy deck you are or a legacy game you're playing through the legacy deck it is a start to finish thing a campaign game I guess also is a start to finish thing. It's it, they're blurry. <laughs> it's hard to say. I think a legacy game though, there's a base game where you're making changes. A campaign game is more story driven, kind of like Fletcher said. I think. Can I build off what Kitty said to try to salvage <laughs> what I was trying yep. to say off of that? Yeah. So, uh, I think a legacy game is something where, um, you, like. Think about a board game, right? The board can be affected in some way of like some territory or some piece changes the rules for the next time that you play something. Whereas a campaign is something where there's some, some fixed modules like Kitty was saying, and you can play those through. But then if you go back and start over, it's exactly the same game that it was from, you know, session zero when you first picked it up. Whereas a legacy game is permanently changing in the Mm -hmm. way that the, the way that you play it and affect it. Yeah. So John, to answer your question, um, the difference is depends on who you ask. I would say that Spencer's final answer is probably closest to what most people in, quote unquote, the industry would deem as a legacy game. A legacy game permanently changes how you play the game from one session to the next. A campaign game can still have a deck of story cards. It can still change everything. Like In a campaign game, things are changing as you go from one scenario to the next. But typically, the game rules themselves are not um, you could also say, oftentimes they'll say a legacy game is permanently changing things. So you're marking things up, stickers, whatever the case. But what may about be. what about Gloomhaven? Is that a legacy game then? Um, so that Gloomhaven is a great example of a campaign game that is acting like a legacy game. So, and the reason right. I say that is because the only thing that, about Gloomhaven that is permanent is if you actually decide to rip up the cards. And I highly recommend everyone do that. Just rip up the cards. The first time is painful. (laughs) After that, it becomes a lot of fun. Um, But Gloomhaven is fully resettable. So it's more of a campaign game than it is a legacy game. Is it fully resettable? I mean, you you make a lot of stickers and stuff on the board and, you know, places can get destroyed and... Yeah, but they got removable sticker packs and all of that. But that's the thing, where it's it's hard to say the difference between a campaign game and a legacy game. Now, many if it, if someone says, "Hey, I'm a legacy game," they're probably going to have you ripping up cards and marking up boards and putting stickers on things. That's probably going to happen. Um, at the same time, if that's undoable, maybe it's a resettable legacy game or maybe it's a campaign game. Ultimately, Rado, um, I. Source him a lot on this. He should listen to our podcast because <laughs> seriously, um, he has very, very strict definitions of he. He's like language is fluid, and you can call things what you want to call them. That's fine. Um, 
but he does say, you know, legacy game and campaign game, these are different things. And when you say legacy game, you should mean legacy, which is thing as a game that makes permanent changes as you play it. Um, so if you want the purest definition, the furthest to the right, just because I'm raising my right hand and pushing that direction, a legacy game is a game that makes permanent changes as you play it. And a campaign game is a game that carries over aspects from one scenario to the other, but it doesn't permanently change the gameplay as you're going. Even if it unlocks new content, that's not permanently changing the gameplay. It's just saying, hey, now you're on the next scenario and here's this new content. That's not a legacy game. That's a campaign game. You know, being on the podcast is a lot like just hanging out with Chris. <laughs> like, he, he asks us for our opinion, but then he tells us what the correct opinion is. That's, and yeah. I'm that's glad that, that in works. this case, Chris recognizes that I'm correct. <laughs> I, I'm not always going to say you're wrong. Sometimes you're right. It happens. You roll the dice. Well, the other I, thing what I was, that happens when you're hanging out with Chris is sometimes, you know, he changes the subject and you completely forget that you had something to talk about at the top of the show because I got one of my Kickstarters this week and I've been so excited about it. So I'm going to drag us completely off topic to talk about this again. Because All right. I got well, we're my, done talking about legacy versus campaign and now we're back to go. Um, so <laughs> I got my <laughs> open world storybook. This week, um, Alba, which is, it's like a sort of between a choose your own adventure and an RPG where you have a character sheet going through this book that you're reading, but you don't have to roll any dice to resolve situations and anything. There's always a choice open to you based on what you have. And I have already gone through it twice and it is so much fun. So that's a campaign game. It would be a legacy game if after you read a passage, they gave you a blackout marker and you had to cross out all the words in that passage. Only, yeah. So it is definitely campaign, I guess, if you're thinking about it that way, (laughs) because it is fully, you can start back at the beginning and do it again. You need a different character sheet, but... I Like I said, I've done it twice. I just went through. And this is only the PDF version that I have so far. My actual copy of the book is still in transit, which has stickers and cool stuff for your... You have like a map instead of just a character sheet. So I'm excited. I've like saved one of the... Because there's like different ways you play. You start building your character based on the choices you make. So it like... They ask you like, oh, what did you forget on the ship? And you get to like choose the things and they give you different abilities. And then later in the book, it'll say like, here's choice A, here's choice B. Or if you have medicine, you can do choice C, but only if you have medicine. So at the beginning, if you took the first aid kit, now you have medicine and you unlock a different section of the book that you can't do. And so I I saved myself one of the choices that I left (laughs) on the ship so that I can play it with my actual stickers. And I'm excited. So you've played through this twice already? Uh-huh. All right. I kind so of raced the first time. Um, I didn't know that that's what I was doing. I was just like really excited about like, I got this thing and now I have to go to this location and figure it out. But that like triggered the end of the book. And I was like, there are so many things I didn't explore yet. And so, yeah, it's it's been really fun. That's awesome. I'm excited for them to make more of these because this is like the open world book concept is something they've said they're going to be creating more of, that this was just their first attempt at it. So, Excellent. Um, we do got a couple definitions for campaign versus uh, legacy. Uh, Lightning Steve says a legacy game has about 12 to 24 games and a campaign game goes on and on for, for longer. Um, I'm going to say 
I agree with you, Steve, in that it's not the best definition. Um, <laughs> Christopher Dog says, see, I, I disagree with lots of people, Spencer. Christopher Dogg says, uh, campaigns tell a story that have an advancement but does not permanently alter the game. Legacy tells a story, but the heart is permanently changes to the permanent changes to the game. I would say in a lot of cases, yes, I would also say that legacy games don't tend to or don't have to tell stories. Just the ones that we most like are the ones that tell stories. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll point to Charterstone where the story there was 12 cards. Um, it was still a legacy game, but it wasn't necessarily a epic story or anything like that legacy game. But to Steve's credit, it did play in about 12 games. So um, maybe he is right. <laughs> That's an interesting point so, that you you could create a legacy game that has that's purely abstract and has no narrative story to it. But I can't yeah. think of any that are done that way. Do you guys know of any? Uh, legacy wise, I think Charterstone would be the closest that I recall being done that way. But yeah, if you're going to do a legacy game and go through the effort of doing that, you might as well put a story to it. Yeah, agreed. All right. So next question, uh, Christopher asks, whatever happened to our print and play follow up episode? Kitty. Chris? <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, I just got a printer this week, so that really slowed me down. <laughs> well, so you're, you're saying is it's not off the table. We just are spending a, getting a long time before we can actually print the games that we're going to try to play. Yeah. <laughs> when, when what? I still don't feel. When did we say we're going to do this? Christopher is shaming me so hard in the chat. I think <laughs> I think this is like eight years or eight years ago, eight months ago. We may have said this. <laughs> Um, Chris, I believe you were the one who said that you were going to print Tiny Forming Mars. No, I, I bought it off of Etsy and it's <laughs> not sitting right next to me. It's sitting in the other room, but I'm like, oh, I should really play this. So I I still plan to play it. It's just I haven't yet. Honestly, here's the thing. Here's the big thing with print and plays. I have, <laughs> Terrence just showed us his print and play. I have <laughs> so many big production Kickstarters that the desire to print something and play something that is the opposite of a big production Kickstarter is very, very low for reasons of, I don't have a 3D printer, so I can't print 108 miniatures to go with my print and play. So that's my <laughs> excuse. And Fletcher just doesn't remember making that commitment or me making that commitment for him. Chris, why do you of all people do not. not have a 3D printer by now? That's you a love fantastic stuff, you love games, you love technology. It is a fantastic question. And I will tell you, honestly, because 3D printers... Because you can go to the library. Well, because I could go to the library um, back when it was open. Uh, but mostly because 3D printers are crap. They're just plain crap. No matter who you are and what you own, I commend, I have a lot of friends who have 3D printers. And in fact, I have an entire... I painted an entire 3D printed Catan set from a friend of mine who has a 3D printer. And the amount of time he spends fiddling with the printer to get it to work versus the amount of stuff that comes out of it, it's like owning an Android phone. It's the same reason I don't own an Android. <laughs> I don't want to worry about fiddling. I just want to open up the package and boom, there it is. Do you know how That's well the- I know you, Chris? I heard you bring up Android phones 60 seconds before you did. I was like, oh, I know where he's going with this. <laughs> I will say my brother... Got a 3D printer this weekend, and the amount of time I saw him fiddling with how, like, he was trying to set the printer, I don't even know what it's called. but he was Resolution, get, basically, the layer resolution. Yeah. Uh, the bed. No, he was trying to get the yeah. bed to the right height, oh. and, like, fussing with that, whew, that was, like, his whole weekend. But he yeah. loved it. 
<laughs> That's yeah. his thing. Like, it's the same reason why I didn't get a VR headset for so long, because all of them were fiddly. You had to have cables. You had the right, right software. I have a Mac. You need a PC. But when the Quest 2 came out, I'm like, oh, I just put it on my head and works? Great. I'll get that. So when the 3D printer comes out that's just open it up and it works? Great. However, I have no confidence in that because 2D printers still don't do that. <laughs> I don't know what it is yeah. about printers. We can put a man on the moon. We can fly a helicopter on Mars, but we can't make a decent printer. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I don't have a 3D printer. Um, Christopher also asks, how about a topic on dead collectible card games? Um, Fletcher, how do you feel about dead collectible card? Can you name three collectible card games that are no longer in in print? Star Trek. Th- that's too easy. You could just say you could you could say Star Trek, Star Wars. <laughs> Those ones don't count because <laughs> why, why not? <laughs> because they don't. <laughs> because um, you can say that for any question, and it's probably an answer. <laughs> I guess no. If I can't say Star Trek, then no. All right, Kitty, can you name I don't know. three dead collectible card games? No. I kind of got off that train pretty quickly once I realized <laughs> that it was just kind of like, like, oh, the reason I like this game is because I like opening up package of, packages of cards. Yes. Oh, Eye of Judgment. That one's dead because I remember <laughs> I bought some cards of that and I was like, this sucks. You guys were too slow. I could have pretended that these were my no, answers in the no. chat. <laughs> Spencer, can you name three collectible card games that are no longer in print? Well, I saw somebody in the chat mention Vampire, so I'm like, yes, not the only White Wolf fanboy here. Um, Star Wars? Star Trek Star Wars are off the table because you can Well, I, I heard somewhere, I think recently, that you could answer any question with one of those titles. And <laughs> that is true. So I wanted to test the theory. No, so, I, Chris, not really, because I've, I've always really avoided collectible card games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Christopher, that is your reason why we can't do an episode on collectible card games. I can name quite a few. I did play Jihad. I did play the Star Trek. I did I did not play Star Wars um, CCG. Um, I've played a lot of CCG, CCGs in the 90s. Um, but we just don't have... We don't have enough experience as a group to talk about that. And I think that Covenant Cast is doing a fantastic job on their collectible card game throwbacks that they're doing. I think they're Tuesdays or Thursdays where they'll spend like four hours on YouTube playing a dead collectible card game. So Are Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh still going strong. Yes. Those Pokemon, Pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh. Still going strong. Yeah, yeah. Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh and Magic Gathering are like the top three collectible card mm-hmm. games. Chris made me play them. I did, because I figured that you guys should play them. It just makes sense. He played Yu-Gi-Oh! And he was like, I need other people to experience this level of pain. It's such a bad game. It's just so... Um, The next one I put in here as a question from me to Kitty. (laughs) Um, Will we still talk about Kickstarters after we're done with DT? No, it's banned from this podcast. (laughs) It's in the vault, Chris. It is in the vault. Um, yeah, it's no, in the TGT vault. I don't know. <sighs> Let me change the question. Will you still look at Kickstarters on a regular basis now that we're not doing DTN? I don't know. I want to say yes, I still will. But honestly, I only go on once a week now to do it for DTN. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Kitty definitely still will. <laughs> you just see the end result of the games coming in. You have no idea. <laughs> No, I'm I'm sure you'll do it less often, but I mean, I I see it from the outside. And there's still occasionally stuff on Kickstarter that I like, but I only hear about it really through you because you follow it. But you 
you obviously get a lot of joy out of that. You'll enjoy talking about it. You enjoy reviewing it. So maybe you won't do it as often, but I, I know you're going to keep doing it. Yeah. I need to like, actually, set a calendar reminder for myself. Like every Thursday, like out of nostalgia, <laughs> I'll still just go check Kickstarter. <laughs> this is what happens when you get old and have children. You have to schedule your fun. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I can only have fun from 2.15 to 3.45 because that's potentially high point of possible nap time. We'll see what happens. On Wednesdays, yeah, fl- we have a three-hour block for spontaneous activity. <laughs> <laughs> Fletcher definitely won't. I will still be checking nope. out Kickstarters. Um, I like BGG's new, they have a hotness and then they have the Kickstarters ending soon section. So I will still be doing that. And also, uh, Dice Tower Now is one of my main podcasts that I listen to. So the, it'll be getting taken over. That section will be taken over. So there will be things mentioned where I'm like, okay, I need to go check this out. It However, won't die I will. With s- us. Don't worry. <laughs> it won't. I will say I am proud of myself for not backing Mythic Battles Ragnarok. I've gone back and forth on it so many times, but I think I've finally decided I'm not going to do it. I don't play Pantheon as much as I would like, and I like Greek mythology more than Norse mythology anyway, so I have what I need. I don't need to spend the money necessary to go all in on that because that's the only way I could do it because I can't just do a base pledge because I have a problem. Um, mm-hmm. Kenny, we have a question from David. He asks, what's so great about Maiden Quest since all the other reviewers seem to slam it? So I really like Maiden's Quest, um, but I also like Fan Solitaire, which is not really a popular or, like, fun game to play, according to, like, almost anyone else you ask. Um, It's very nostalgic for me. I remember my mom teaching me how to play Fan Solitaire in this really, it's that same game, but with more stuff. I really enjoy the synergy aspect of it where you get to choose your villain and then you choose the maiden and the cards that go with it. I like the feel of building a deck without the pressure of playing against someone else's deck. (laughs) You're just playing yourself. I like the feeling of a purely solo game that is actually designed to be solo. It's designed to just be solo. It is not a multiplayer game that you're playing with different people like fake characters or whatever it is it's it doesn't have a big footprint it's just a deck of cards i get to play with i don't know i like it i i see why it's not for everyone but i enjoy it um but i still haven't actually played it in like a year so maybe sure that says something (laughs) yeah if we get to it i'm actually going to note a question right now um that I, I think I'm going to make an actual topic, but I just wanted to note it down because, um, <laughs> yeah, I would say, honestly, Maiden's Quest, when, when you have games that are this small, because it kind of came up in our small box games um, mm-hmm. episode. When you have games that are this small, the best thing is just try it for 15 bucks. If you don't like it, you played it once, you probably still got more money per hour out of it than most of the big games you're buying for, you know, $80, $90 where you only play that one. Um David asked another question. I think these were separate emails. And this was not a question. I'm just turning it into a question. He says, <laughs> I played Robinson Crusoe a few times and struggled to see what was so good about it. And I put dot, dot, dot. Um, he kind of was on as like, he needs to get it back to the table. This is a game, but I, I, I wanted to answer this in the same way as like, what's so good about it? This is a game that I avoided for a literal decade because it's 10 years old now. And I've known about it since the very first time I've gotten the board games. I have no interest in Robinson Crusoe. 
I have no idea who this person is. I think he's an explorer. He might have discovered the Mediterranean. I don't know. I have no idea. The name itself just made me like, eh, I'm not interested in this. It's not anything I'm interested in. And the you reason don't know who Robinson Crusoe is? I, I really don't. Um, I, I know more now. I think he was on a desert island and then died, if I understand the game correctly. Um Oh my gosh. Okay. But but this is this is the thing where I'm just saying I had no interest in this game. But I do like listening to Board Game Insider, a podcast by Stephen Bonacore and Ignacy Chavacek, the designer of Robinson Crusoe. And I do like following Kickstarter and now GameFound. And it was a campaign on GameFound. And I actually posted a thread on BGG saying, hey, I hated um, First Martian. Would I like this game? And lots of people came out to defend this. So I went out and I picked it up and I played it. And the reason I think this game is so... Good, because I, I I couldn't stop. I played it solid for a week, and then I had to put it away so I could play some other stuff. But I would pull this out right now and play it. I don't know if I how I feel in a group because I've never played it with anyone else. But the decisions you're making here, there's not a ton of them in say a seven turn game. You're making depending on the number of players about I don't know twenty some decisions of what actions you're going to take, which is a lot more than the Mars game felt like. But the consequences and what happens, and it's just fun to see what's going to turn up. It's fun to see how you die. It's fun to see what you find. It's fun to craft things. It's fun, like, at the beginning, you feel weak and, like, ugh, I'm never going to make it through here. And then you start building some pieces of equipment that get you in a good shape, and you're like, okay, I got this. I feel good. I feel good. Oh, there was a hurricane. Like, all of that stuff. And then you're able to get past the hurricane. There's just there's so many ups and downs in this game. I love this game. I can't wait to play it again. I can't wait for the Kickstarter f- to fulfill. I just, yeah. And I, I would say it's not for everyone. I, I know it's not, no game is for everyone. I just really, really like this game. So if you are like me and don't know who Robinson Caruso is, it doesn't matter. Go play the game. All right. So the only thing I heard through that, which was basically nothing, uh, was, <laughs> just because I was so amazed that you didn't know who Robinson Crusoe was. Now I'm curious yeah. how many games with themes that are based on history or literature or other like, you know, important cultural elements are the, is everything just lost on Chris? Like, did you yeah, play Axies and Allies and you're like, well, this whole like Axies Allies thing, was that like an event or something? Was there a war somewhere? Wait for it. Chris, I hate geometry which games. War is Twilight Struggle about? The one where you have to struggle in the it's morning. It's Cold War. <laughs> <laughs> he mixes it up every single time. That was yeah. a trick question. <laughs> I, I, I am not a huge fan of like real like fiction, like, like historical real life fiction is what Chris is. No, no, His, historical fiction and or history. It's just never been something that my brain has wrapped itself around. I'm a much more logical, puzzly be able to deduce it and names and dates and history in general have just never been the things that jumped out at me. I, I I'm, I'm going to own it. And, and, and to, to be fair, <laughs> I think it. one of the big appeal of playing games is the escapist element, right? You don't have to deal with reality and, uh, and, and history. You're, you're, you're doing something that's just fun in and of itself. And it's, it's really contained on the space, but it's just odd to me that these things that are, you know, massive <laughs> cultural unifying elements. Do you just be completely blind to? So insider it's information. It's impressive here. in a dark sort of. Way. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm Chris when is- I'm doing the kick, 
Go ahead. I was going to give you some credit. I think Chris is like uh, Sherlock Holmes. He has just like so much room in his brain and he's deleted what he's decided as. Sherlock Holmes. Who's that? Chris, have you ever heard of Sherlock Holmes? (laughs) I have. (laughs) Who wrote Sherlock Holmes? (laughs) Piers Anthony. No. No. (laughs) No, I should know this. We've been watching a lot of Star Trek The Next Generation and Sherlock Holmes makes a lot of uh, appearances there. Uh, who no, is Star I, Trek? Who is Star Trek created by? Gene Roddenberry. Okay, <laughs> only because it tells you at the beginning of every episode. No, because I actually <laughs> like sci-fi because it's not historical. You know, space. Everything yeah. space is Chris's. Like, yeah. if you put a space theme on the worst game ever, Chris will still accidentally buy it. <laughs> he would true. buy space capsules of Burgundy and not know what he had done. Oh, I would definitely buy star star bases of Burgundy. I, I'd be all about that. That'd be awesome. <laughs> would you Would you buy Monopoly that was sh- had a shallow rebranding of space? Um, I think I have, but only once, and I think it's because of the miniatures. I think I bought a Star Trek copy because it had cool <laughs> Enterprises in it. So yes. Yeah, Chris, did but, you ever say who wrote Sherlock Holmes? He guessed incorrectly. Ah. Oh, it was Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> <laughs> he did, he did. Uh, uh, Doyle, Doyle, Anthony Conan hey. Doyle or something, right? There we Almost go. There, there you go. You should there have stopped all your head. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. <laughs> I'll just go Doyle. All right, there we go. No, no, true story. So I curate the uh, Kickstarters that we do on DTN, and I cut one this week. Because it was a game based on a specific battle in the Civil War. Like a very specific, specific one. And I had no idea how to talk about it. Like, I'm like, uh, honestly, the blurb I wrote up was, this is a has a hex map with one kilometer scale where you're moving around square cardboard chits on the battlefield and trying to win. And I'm like, yeah, I can't do that. So we cut that one um, before Kitty even got a chance to see it. I know. But- now I'm going to go look it up. I'm curious what <laughs> battle it is. I don't trust you to actually remember. I, I assume d- it wasn't Char- Gettysburg. I think it was Charleston or something like that. But And I took a class in Civil War. In fact, I took a class in high school in Civil War. That class is the reason I did not graduate my um, <laughs> high school with honors. It it literally pulled my GPA down enough that I did not graduate with honors. <sighs> that and a test I took in one of my statistics classes where the teacher said, oh, you got this first answer wrong, so 50% of your test was failed because you based everything off that first answer. But I'm like, everything else was right, assuming that first an- Yeah, it doesn't matter. You are the worst teacher ever. I hate you. So, so I think anyway. what I heard is the real tragedy of the legacy of the Civil War and slavery in America... <laughs> Is Chris's high school GPA. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the next question is from Warren. Um, Kitty, you mentioned in a past episode that you have a degree in meteorology. And he thought he was the only person that had this Venn diagram intersection of meteorology and board games. So he just asked. It's a simple question. Where'd you go to school? So I started at the College of DuPage. I went storm chasing with them a couple times. uh, And then I graduated from Northern Illinois University. Excellent. See, that's an easy one. Awesome. I like oh, wait, that one. hold on. I have, I have a comment to make. <laughs> I, I just, this is about meteorology in general, because I didn't know that this was a thing until maybe about two or three weeks ago. You didn't know so, meteorology was a thing? No, no, no. no I'm going I'm to get into it. So when you watch the news or you know whatever, and they say there's a 50% chance of rain, mm-hmm. I went through life 
And maybe I missed my seventh grade science course where they talked about this, or maybe I was absent that day, but I had no idea. I just assumed that that means there's a 50% chance of rain (laughs) in a given area. That's not true. Mm -hmm. In a given area, it could mean that there is a 50% chance of rain in that whole area, Mm -hmm. or that there is a 100% chance of rain in 50% of the area. Yep. I did not know that. You know where I learned that? Friggin' TikTok. Why did TikTok have to teach me this? Why was this not something that I learned about in high school? Because this is something I talk about all the time. Spencer can tell you this is one of my favorite things to talk about. As people are like, oh, it completely blew my mind, and it now makes perfect sense when you see a prediction and it's like there's a thirty percent chance of rain. I'm like, it's raining right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Why don't you just go ahead and bump that up to a hundred? It's like, oh, because. Especially in the the area, your garden variety afternoon thunderstorm has a very small footprint, but you know they're going to happen somewhere in the area with the instability. You know, they're just they're very predictable, but not exactly where they will pop up. It's it's tricky. I think that's really a legacy. And I don't know why they talk about that more. Well, I I think it's really a legacy (laughs) of broadcast media. Yeah, uh, because it's, uh, you know, if you're talking to an audience through radio or television, where you're speaking to a wide area and you have to give them all the same message. That's really the only way you can discuss this sort of thing. And it wouldn't no, surprise but you me could if over educate time, the population of what exactly you're saying and, and how to, and what that means. It doesn't well, how many work times with are the soundbite culture. It? Yeah. Cause yeah. you know, <laughs> so you watch the news that, you know, what is, let's talk about WBBM. They give the rate, the uh, weather on the eights every hour. So that's what, like, how many times a day they get that? Are they supposed to get this explanation every single time they give you the percentage that it's going to I don't know. Be? Maybe public school should, like, educate the failed everyone on this podcast except possibly me so far. We'll find my niche blind spot later, I'm sure. Every time but Chris buys a historical-themed game, is it supposed to come with a primer explaining the actual history behind it? <laughs> It depends on who you ask, but it should come with a primer and an apology of the actual thing that happened. Yes. So, um, next but question. Fletch- <laughs> but Fletcher, you educated people on it. I like. I did not know that either. So I did not learn. Yeah. From TikTok, but it was one degree separation from TikTok. TikTok <laughs> is making the world a better place. Um. All right. So Marina asks. Um. And actually, Kitty, did you read Marina's email? She has a whole bunch I of did. things for you. Um, I did not read the whole email yet, but I saw that it's for me. So now I will. All right. So, but she asked, she's like, um, there's, she works at a library. She's a librarian and just down the street from me. So in Round Lake and they're starting a podcast. And apparently we talked about the podcast equipment that we use on this podcast. And she was trying to find that. So she simply asked, what's the episode number? And the truth is, I have no idea whatsoever. So what I have done is I put together a list of things and links on Amazon on the equipment that we use and the new piece of equipment that I would suggest. Um, Because we use, I use a Zoom H6. Kitty uses a Zoom H4. Um, Fletcher uses a Zoom cheap, cheap one, but still $99. But don't don't, use that one. Don't get the one that I got. Don't use that one. But I'm going to refer you to the Zoom, the podcaster Zoom, and the microphones that we use. And I'm also going to refer you to the 
online site I use for my audio processing, which makes us sound way better than I have any right mm-hmm. to be. But it's partly between the microphone and partly with this um, online processing site that I use. I'm going to put all of this in our show notes today. So anyone who's ever thought about starting a podcast, this is the equipment I use. When we're doing remote We are obviously on Zoom. If you want to join us, you can join us Mondays at 8.30. Go to tabletopgametalk.com slash live and click on the link. And we record on Zoom. We Actually, I record the backup audio on Zoom. I tend not to use that. We hear each other in Zoom, but we record locally into our own recorders. And then everyone sends me their files and I combine them um, in Audacity, uh, which is a free software. If you're in person, it's way easier to just everyone record into the same recorder. And we used to do that for the first, I don't know, 150 episodes of the podcast. So anyway, I'm going to put those in the notes um, because this is something that I was interested in and I know that other people are too. So thanks for asking and check out the notes for the actual real answer to this question. I also think the episode where we talked about it is metagaming and it is episode 19. Excellent. So you can go way back there <laughs> as well. Back then, it was much cheaper. Our microphones have like doubled in cost. But these are great microphones. They're do really good not, mics, yeah. yeah, do not get a Yeti microphone. The blue with blue whatever is the like most common one. Do not get a Yeti to record podcasts. Terrible, terrible audio quality. And I will fight anyone who disagrees with me. You should be. Ha- you should have a dynamic microphone for recording voice. You should not use a compressor microphone. They're terrible. Just terrible end of story um go ahead at me that's game master chris on twitter um all right we are now going to switch into role-playing games and we have two people with feedback we're going to start with david because he is has a nice general question for all of us and spencer you are going to answer this question first david asks (laughs) what are your most memorable rpg character what race what class etc and what made them so memorable Now, Chris, are you asking me this because you suspect that I'm going to name a character in a game that you ran? No, I'm not. I was just going to ask you this because you're our guest, so I figured you can answer first. (laughs) Uh, I am, in fact, going to name a character in a game that you ran. The first one that comes to mind is Quiv. Of course. I love Quiv. Yeah, everybody Uh, loved Quiv, except not really. Well, sort of. No one loved Quiv. Everyone loved Quiv, but no one liked to admit it. (laughs) What made Quiv so special? And I want to hear what you say, because I know what I remember. Uh, I, there, there are a lot of things that were distinctive about Quiv, but, uh, what I, I liked about Quiv was I felt like he really came alive as a character. I really understood his motivation and his drives. And even though it was on the surface, a very sort of over the top and violent sort of ridiculous personality, it always had a motivation that I understood. I was actually role-playing that character. Race and class. Uh, a dragon, dragon whatever born. it is, a half dragon. Dragonborn. Dragonborn. Dra- I wanted to say yep. dragonborn. I wasn't sure that was right. I was like, is that just a Skyrim thing or is it also? <laughs> yeah, okay. So I uh, was a dragonborn. Was it a Fusruda? Was it a warlock or a fighter? It might have been warlock. I don't actually remember your class. So you are a dragonborn and you had armor made out of your enemies' faces. Yes. Those were yeah. the things I remembered. Yeah, it was pretty great. I collected yeah. the faces of the big bad guys that we were going to to kill. And whenever we killed one, I would skin their face and stitch it into the armor. Yeah. This was Dark Sun. It made total sense in that campaign world. Um, mm. <laughs> and it was fourth edition D&D. But yeah, I will, I will say many characters from that campaign were memorable. But Quiv was one of the most memorable for sure. 
My favorite um, thing about Quiv, though, you haven't mentioned yet. Quiv, Quiv was, was a, a poet. poet. Yes, Quiv <laughs> was a poet. And I made a big deal about of this, and Chris pretended to care and go like, okay, whatever, buddy. But, hey, I remembered. Yeah. Uh, no, but Quiv, Quiv had a softer side, and he would write poetry about his victories and defeats and the tragedies that he saw. And we had sort of a time travel element to things. So at some point, we ended up like in the past – Quiv wrote some poem about, um, I don't remember, some tragic thing that had happened. And then when we came back to the future, it was this like, uh, well, um, well spread epic poem. It was, it was a good character. Yeah. Fletcher, what about you? Can you compete with Quiv? No. <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, when I was playing D and D or kind of like any, any character, our characters really didn't last more than a few sessions. And I've, don't really know why. So I, I never grew very attached to any of the uh, any of the characters that I played. Um, the only one I can think of, like from before, I I even forget his name. But the the last time we were playing D anD D at work, I was playing a monk. This is when you figured out that like monks were broken. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I just remember I was super speedy because I had like I was a human, so like thirty foot mov- movement speed plus the monk's extra ten, and then I. Chose like the feet uh, quickness or something like that or alert, which gave me like an additional 10 feet movement speed. Um, and then with haste cast on me, I was just <laughs> <laughs> terrifying. I could just go anywhere on the map. Yeah, I was just terrifying. I could just go anywhere on the map and just move around like crazy. That was the campaign that Rudy and Matt were running, right? Um, and there was like 12 players. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So this was this was a work campaign. Um, I had done a campaign at work, and then two of the people that were playing in that wanted to run their own, and we they just made an open invite to anyone who wanted to join. So they had two DMs and twelve players all at the same table. Um, it That's actually crazy. it actually yeah it actually worked out all right. I was actually surprised at how well they they were able to make it work. So, but yeah, that was that was a. a an interesting scenario. <laughs> um, Kitty, what about you? Um, I think my most memorable character would have to be Reyna, um, my first paladin who played in our Pathfinder campaign. I think it's just because she was my first She character. was your first? Yeah. Yep. She was I'll the one that we painted. She had, <laughs> yeah. I did paint she, a really great miniature. <laughs> yep. Um, for me, I honestly don't play characters long enough to get overly attached to them um, because I tend to play one-offs at different conventions and stuff and it tends to be the I don't know usually the character that's just pretty straightforward because I don't want to take over the game Um, I do like my character in our vampire game but honestly I designed that as a version of me if I were a vampire so (laughs) that was very obvious (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah Super techie, live in the basement, control everything from the internet type of vampire. Um, so that's that's was fun. But you know, as, as people will sometimes make make fun of players for doing that, right? Ma- making like themselves in the game, or whatever. But I, I think it's a perfectly natural impulse, especially if you're not sure what to go off of. Yeah, and you yeah. can allow that character to grow and diverge from yourself into mm-hmm. something new. Yeah. Well, Kitty played a paladin as her first character. Her Twitter handle is lawful good mom, right? She <laughs> likes to follow the rules, so why not create the paladin that has to follow the rules? Spencer will argue that I am not lawful good. She is not lawful good. She is definitely lawful. She's lawful <laughs> neutral at best. <laughs> I am chaotic good. 
I'm certain of that. <laughs> Spencer's definitely chaotic. I'll give him that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take that. How All right, co- Spencer. Hold, hold. How many arguments, Kitty, have we had where I'm arguing to do the thing that you and I both acknowledge is the right thing to do? And you're like, yeah, but. The, the... But the rules. Yeah. 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 That, that sums up our marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So speaking of vampire, um, la- two weeks ago. I said something on the podcast that Spencer took out of, not as I intended, I think. But, (laughs) Spencer, what is your comment, concern, question? And we'll take her from there. So, I don't entirely remember because that was two weeks ago. Here's what I read. All right. So, (laughs) some background here. I don't normally listen to the podcast. And the reason for that is it's really just like hanging out with you guys who I hang out with on a regular basis. Except Why would you want to do that more? You're right. Well, because I can't, <laughs> I can't interject and interact with you, right? I can't back you up, Fletcher. I can't tell Chris that he's wrong. <laughs> and that's, what it, that's what's fun. That's what I'm engaging with. I just get angry because he said the bad thing. But if I can uh, think about it for a second here, I, I think there's, there's a few things I wanted to respond to about that. And one, one of the things that, that Chris mentioned a few weeks ago um, was his – his beef with the term storyteller, which is something that White Wolf uses mm-hmm. uh, for you know the person running the game, and and I agreed with I think where he's coming from of that. Look, if you, if you want to construct a story start to finish and how everything goes down, that's not what you're doing when you're running a game. Mm-hmm. You you are you're trying to write a book, and that's not how it works. But I do think a storyteller is the right title for a narrative driven game, uh, and the the reason for that is you're you're still the arbitrator of the outcome of what happens, right? So you're sitting at the table or you're on the call with the players and you put the the positions in front of them and they make those decisions and they may put it in a different direction than you think, but you are still the person who's writing the story as it's, as it's unfolding. So I, I think of running a game in that sense as uh it, it's almost like writing a book, except you have no control over what the most important players are doing directly. It's a, you are collaboratively telling a story or writing a story. And it's the storyteller who's expressing what that artifact is of what you've collaboratively created. I, I, I would call it emceeing more than storytelling. Okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I get it. I think the connotation of, Saying storyteller, and most games don't do this. They don't say storyteller. Yeah. But the idea of that, it makes you think, hey, this is the person that's going to be, I don't know. I just, if you want to tell a story, sure. I think that you are the facilitator more than the storyteller, though. Well, I think you're, I think you're both, and this is kind of part of what I'm getting at here, right? So you're 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 running a game, you're, you're putting situations together. Some of it is just that you're writing it, right? You you have some story prep, and you put situations in front of the player. You describe what the room looks like, right? In a lot of ways, that's telling a story, but also you absolutely absolutely do have to defer to the players to decide how they react to these situations, the things that they do. But if, you know, I let's say I'm running a game, I put you guys in a situation and you say what you intend to do and you you describe your actions and maybe you roll the dice and you attempt something, I still have to as the storyteller describe what the outcome is and what actually happens. So it's it's yes, it's a collaborative thing and the players are driving if it's done well a very big part of that, but uh 
you are still you're putting it together. Yeah, you're putting it together. You are yeah. telling the story as it is unfolding. If it's a screenplay, you're looking at the players are the people with the speaking roles, most of them. And the storyteller has some speaking roles. But most importantly, they are the little text at the beginning in italics that tells you, set the scene. This is what it They're is. They're the set so dressing. <laughs> yes. They are all of those other things in a screenplay that are not just the dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. In, in some again, ways, it's you're, you're the judge and you're the court stenographer. Yeah. <laughs> I would agree with everything you're saying there. The only thing I would emphasize, though, is as a storyteller, if you're going to think of yourself that way, you need to say, yes, I am constructing the story with input. I am not constructing a story that I'm expecting my players to do things because the next piece of this story is supposed to go this way, but they did that. If oh, you're going to do agree. that, yeah, yeah if you're going to do I, that, I you're going to have a hard time. And I'm I'm remembering what I was reacting to as I was listening to to the podcast from from before, which was, you know, in some ways you were criticizing some 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 of the uh, missteps that had been made in the especially towards the tail end of the vampire game that we were playing, uh, and really. Uh, like I wouldn't disagree at all about what those missteps were or, you know, as they manifested, but I think you diagnosed the problem completely wrong, which was that, you know, these, um, the game started to go off the rails because I, I was having a hard time putting the effort in to prepping ahead of time and, and keeping as involved emotionally when we started playing entirely remote as we obviously were because right. of the pandemic. Um, you know, and I think you and I have very different, instincts and the way that we run games and it's i don't think styles they, they're different styles yeah, yeah. and but i uh i think that the the way that you you approach running a game is entirely appropriate to the type of games that you run and actually um i've wanted to to branch out into running more of those types of games specifically because that sort of approach sounds fun so and you're saying really since I, I just run hack and slash games my job is easier than your intrigue mystery game I'm not saying that, but it is true. Uh, no, it, it, it's more than that, right? So, like, yeah, hack and slash, you can just take up a lot of time with combat, right? And then true. sort of yep. social intrigue games, you have to have more narrative stuff that I, that I do think is, in, in some ways, it's more burdensome running the game. But, I mean, certainly, I've never really run uh, a big D&D &D game and, you know, prepping for and running a combat does not look easy, but it's a different kind of challenge, right? Yeah. Uh, I will. Yeah. Honestly, maintaining, I think the biggest thing, if I were going to run an intrigue game, I would want to keep it to like six sessions. I'd want to make it compact. Like this entire arc is going to be done in six sessions. These characters might be able to continue on, but I, I don't know. It would be very challenging for me to carry on a mystery for too long because I would potentially get bored with it because I get bored with things quick. That's why hack and slash is easier for me. It's like, Oh, kill these goblins. Good. All right. You're done killing those goblins. Oh, look more goblins. Um, it's easier to do that. than figure out this mystery. Um, I'm not going to, you don't know this yet, but you know, like that for me would be very tricky to do. So yeah, it's, it's what you're running is of. not easy. Yeah. Right. Yep. It, it's hard to keep track of. I really enjoy it, but I think the, um, for one thing, you know, a mystery driven game without that sort of discreet, here's a thing in front of you, go beat up the bad guy or slay the monster, whatever it is, is, is more challenging. 
Uh, but you know, in this case, sort of the, I guess, more or less formula, the strategy, which was the most successful when I actually followed through with it and was doing it and that I want to kind of double down on, um, as we start playing again is, you know, looking back in the last session, okay, the players have some, uh, some questions that they're trying to answer, uh, as a storyteller, you come up with, all right, here's some, here's some clues they're following up on, um, Here's some challenges. I'm going to rise to them. And I think this is going to go this or that way. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. but as the players are going through the game, if they go in a direction that's unexpected, uh, improvise something on the spot that might not even make any narrative sense in what you thought the plot was, but it's fine because you'll have a whole entire week to try to reconcile all this stuff. So it'll be times like, Hey, it's getting kind of boring. Um, Hey, I thought they were going to do this. I thought they were going to do that. This didn't really happen. Hey, wouldn't it be interesting if somebody kicked down the door and started shooting? I don't know what their motivation <laughs> is yet or whatever, who sent them, but we'll figure that out before next week. And that really um, rich, uh, if, if you follow through with doing that, prep it the right way, reconcile it before going into the next week. Uh, you know, when I was going through and, and doing that well, it really did make for a richer and more intriguing game. And when I fell back on, Hey, the players have enough up in the air anymore. I'm not going to improvise more pieces to make the web even thicker. Um, I think people started to lose their interest. I started to lose my interest. Uh, I, I think it's important yeah. to. I will say that it was very hard when we moved online. There were shorter, sh- shorter sessions, shorter, <laughs> shorter sessions. Um, and if you, with the lack of a map in combat, it, is much harder than D&D to translate onto Zoom because you can't tell who's making eye contact with whom, who you're talking to. You can't hear people talking over each other. I felt like there were some times when we were playing where I would just be the person who, like, I'm trying to listen to the person that the other person isn't listening to because two people are talking at the same time and somebody needs to figure out what's going on. And those kinds of things were much harder to deal with. And then you also had to quite pregnant players that kept falling asleep during <laughs> sessions. It was, um, it was a bit of a tricky situation. <laughs> and I, and I really, I really like making the tone of, and the atmosphere around the table, a real part of it. Mm-hmm. Like, remember I, I, I was playing music for like these playlists that I would put together. And I thought about trying to get like a Spotify playlist that everyone could listen to whatever, but it's, it just doesn't feel the same. Yeah. Uh, and I sometimes really- come up with physical props you can bring to the table and say like, this is the thing that you find. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say so because I mentioned it. I think I mentioned it is I am an improv game master. Mm-hmm. For the most part, I can have a general idea of what's going on and make the rest up on the fly. But not everyone can do that. Most people, I would say, don't DM or GM like that. It's not a skill that you just pop out of the, you know, I'm going to do this and first game, I'm just going to go with it. And it, it, it doesn't work like that. So but what I what I'm. I think the advice here is if you're going to run a game, you want to run it in an environment that you're comfortable in. You want to run it with enough prep time. It's fine to say, hey, guys, I'm not ready to run this session yet because I haven't had enough prep time um, or whatever reason. We can still get together, play Jackbox. We did that a couple times, right? Get together. Let's mm-hmm. get together, play Jackbox. Let's just get there, just chat. That is 100% fine. Your players aren't going to be upset that you didn't run a game. And you're not going to be, you're going to be in a better situation than running a game that you're not happy that you ran it or something Mm -hmm. happened that, you know. So 
I think that really the moral here is be comfortable in the situation and be comfortable that you're ready to run a game. And my advice is still don't over prep. Don't assume the players are going to do one thing. Um, have a few things in mind and don't worry if you have to throw in the quantum plot point. Um, we talked about the quantum ogre. There's going to be a combat. I don't care where it's at. Pop up. Here's this ogre. The quantum plot point is, hey, you need to figure this out. However it is that you get there, you're going to figure this out this session. This is what I think you should do to get that plot point. But if you don't, if you do it some other way, great. You are creative. You're still going to get that plot point. Um, so I'll add the quantum plot point in there as well. Yeah, I completely agree. And and that's really like um, something I was more or less doing in, in certain situations. But it's, uh, you know, when you don't have the energy and you're not putting in there, you're not prepping it, your spirit's not there, you're not doing it as well. And it, and it, it sort of um, just spirals in and, and doesn't working out as uh, doesn't work out as well as it could. All right. I am going to start giving things away because this is the time in the episode where Kitty's like, oh, we've gone so long. Why are we still talking? And Kitty, you can say that. It's gone so long. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> so let's start giving stuff away. Um, but I agree with you, Spencer. And I think um, we might have you back on the first uh, Monday or Tuesday, first Tuesday of each month to maybe talk about role-playing games with us if you want to come back and join us. No, I don't like you people. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> we'll, we'll play it by ear then. All right. So the way this works for those who have not listened is Spencer's going to join us and we are going to give away things. Um, I'm going to do three drawings today. If your name is called, you have two weeks to send me an email. Send me an email saying, hey, on your list, here are my two or three top picks. Put them in order of what you are interested in. So if I get multiple people wanting the same thing, first person who emails me is the one that gets their highest pick. Um, I am going, I have a Google spreadsheet. I'm going to share this screen with our live audience so they can witness our drawings live. And we go five, four, three, two, one. And the winner is the winner. So five, four, Three, two, that that winner is just kind of like slowly inching its way up. Here's the number one. <laughs> Boom. Oh, it went way down. All right. And the winner is Sahara Wentworth. All right. You are our first Congratulations. winner. Yay. Um, it's the 19th. 419. Okay. Hooray. So, Sahara, you have two weeks from when you hear this um, to shoot me. Just send me a few of your choices. But. Sahara, you can't be the only winner because that would be lonely. So we're going to do another one. Five, four, three, two, one. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Terrence. Terrence in our, is in our live audience now. Terrence, you have like, I don't know, eight minutes to shoot me what you want to do. Um, <laughs> Frantic typing <laughs> happening. <laughs> but <laughs> I... Um, forfeit everything. Yes. But I am definitely going to make you take one of my games. So deal with it. Terrence likes to be like, no, 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 no. Give it to someone else. I'm not. I'm not. Because shipping to you is going to be very simple. I'm probably just going to drop it off at your house. It'll be like super cheap. Um, all right. And since Terrence is in our live audience, that automatically means that we have to draw another person. So five, four, three, <laughs> two, one. I really need to get rid of these games. Sahara just won again. Um, Sahara, you can't win once more than once in the same <laughs> night. So we're gonna we're gonna do a zero here. Um, boom, boom, boom. Agnes Toth. Agnes, email me. Let me know that you want games and you will have them 
Bum, bum, bum. All right. Those are our three winners. Agnes Toth, Terrence Milter, Sahara Wentworth. Congratulations. Hooray. Also, if you sent me an email to enter and you have not gotten an email back from me saying, hey, you're in, um, or sometimes I just responded with answering your question or chit-chatting or whatever the case, um, shoot me another email so I can make sure you're on my list. It's possible I overlooked the email. It's also possible that I added you to the list and forgot to email you back. But either way, I want to make sure everyone is entered. On that note, we are going long tonight. So, Kitty, why don't you <laughs> take us out eventually? I shouldn't the, say that the, because it, I, I cut out the silence. Cut out my silence. But <laughs> I now know. <laughs> my, you made me go full screen with the screen share, and now here we are. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm gonna have to go back in and put in the silence, and uh, it's gonna be a mess. All right, go ahead. Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. If you'd like to follow us on social media, the links for Facebook and Twitter are in our show notes. Want to watch us record live? You can find a link for that in the show notes, too. Comments or questions? Email us at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons. If you'd like to be one of these wonderful people, you can find out how by visiting our website, tabletopgametalk.com, and clicking the support us link. And there's a link in the show notes, too. Finally, a huge thank you to our current patrons. Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, The Gifted Games, Jason Strong, Joe Lewis, Joe Hoover, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Jeremy Fisher, Terrence Miltner, Sean Peck, Christopher Dong, Jennifer Engelbrecht, Brian Arnold, Brian Arnold, Michael Yanikowski, David Sellers, David Radke, Jason Marks, Ann Reynolds, Christopher Letko, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verholst, Joe Rackstad, Witherman Keith, Paul Raymer, Jimothy, Ben Gary, Matthew Droke, David Rank, Jerry Wong, C. Marie, Justin Willard, Jason Rodney, Cindy Loom, Eric Hoffman, Adrian Dong, Fias Lindham, Eric Salander, Glenn Cotter, John Williams, Sir Sully, Andrew Fayesh, Kamal Berth, Peter Fleming, Gary Bunker, Sahara Wentworth, Lightning Steve, Jim Conrad, Marina Stevens, Sean P. Kelly, Mike Smith, Caleb O'Brien, Don Gilstrap, Aaron Moore, Ron Nelson, Agnes Toth, Charles Pearson, Jesse Wheeler, Ronald Roy, Tony Simpkins, and David Garner. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. All right, we're long, but we're post-credits now, so we can be longer. Um, oh, jeez. <laughs> we played D&D on Friday, finally. Spencer, what did you... I was going to say, we're letting this go long is because <laughs> of what we did to Lothar. <laughs> 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 so after the credits, we talk about what we did in D&D this week. So yeah, what did your character do this week? I... Uh, Killed monsters because we played in a hack and slash game that's easy to run. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I could. I it, it's obvious that it's a lot of work that Chris has put into this. Although a lot of it's prep work, even though you shouldn't over prep. Hmm. It's online. Uh, I have to like make all the dungeon stuff because we're doing everything digitally. So yeah, that's that is a lot of stuff. And you guys leveled up, i.e., advanced to the next level of the dungeon. So I have a lot of work this week to get ready for next week. Yeah, but, but helicopter no, was, Lothar was quite fun. That was that was a lot of fun. So, so you had what haste, fly, a great axe. <laughs> yeah, so I've got a I've got a you know buffed magic great axe on a character that's built to be specialized around doing lots of damage with his great axe. And then uh, around the corner, we saw a beholder that hadn't noticed us yet due to Fletcher's uh, you know stealthy scouting out ahead rogue Sneak. skills sneaking about. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Sydney offered up her, 
potion of flight so that I could melee the thing that was flying in the air. And then I was like, Hey kitty, remember how great it was when you cast haste on me? And she was like, yeah, okay, fine. Um, <laughs> and then I, uh, you know, flew ran around the corner at the beholder and just used smite as much as I could blowing all of my spell slots into it. And I think I took out something like 90% of its hit points in the fir- first surprise round. Mm-hmm. Yep. Y- yeah. And then I finished it off. And then you finished it off with an arrow. <laughs> yeah. With Which my arrow. I was like, drew the attention of like an entire room full of people that I fireballed into oblivion. It was a really great like setup. It reminded me of when we snuck up on the the young black dragon. Yeah. And Chris was like, yes. after that surprise round, Chris was like, oh, I shouldn't let you sneak up on people anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. Yeah. Are you also have your own brewery now as you found an underground cider brewery. Yep, we found a lot of barrels that almost killed us. Someone Um, wanted to eat you, but... And Sydney found a... Well, we found a ring, a magic ring that uh, Sydney put on and we don't know what it does yet. Oh, right. You guys don't know what that does yet. That's awesome for me. We found out uh, where the steering wheel for the dungeon is. (laughs) There's a room that is definitely full of rotisserie chickens. What was the other? So so they found a map. And so the entire map was revealed to them. And Katie decided to apply labels to all of the different things on the map. Um, Yeah. So now the dungeon has a steering wheel and a chicken rotisserie. Mm-hmm. But that's okay, because you guys went to the, down the stairs, and now you're the next level, and you'll get to see an entirely new level next week, probably, if none of us cancel. <laughs> and on that note, we are well in to over an hour, so we're going to say good night, everyone, and or good morning, or good afternoon, or whenever you listen to this, and God... Like, if you're still listening to this, awesome. Um, send me an email, <laughs> you know, enter our contest so I can give you games. <laughs> Okay, we can press stop recording now. Bye.